work being this good. Hello? Yo, Phil. Is it possible to two youths? The, the two what? Did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Lefty and the Wolf, episode number 17. I'm Lefty, and as always, I am here with the Wolf. I'm from New York and never was a fan of the Knicks. Well-timed. Very good, sir. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right, Wolf. How about yourself? Can't complain. Can't complain, but I will anyway. What what's there to complain about? I don't know, but I, I just always feel like I'm I'm not I'm I don't feel content unless I'm complaining about something. Huh. <laughs> so you want me to complain about something? Yes, uh, <clears throat> I can. I'll come up with something to complain about if that's what you want. No, nah, I think we're okay on that. We'll save it then. Yeah, let's save that for another show. Uh, or later in this show, you never know. Maybe. St- st- stop making that sound, though, guy. What sound did I make? You're making like the rubbing on the cushion sound? Just like... I don't even know how you're doing uh, that on this chair. <laughs> sorry, There's not really just, much of a cushion sorry. on the chair. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Well, uh, Wolf, uh, what's been up? How was Thanksgiving? Oh, you mean Thanksgiving? Well, it seemed like you had a good time. It seemed like you were celebrating whatever taking they were giving. Well, yeah, I had, I had a nice time with a couple of friends last Thursday. Uh, Thanksgiving? Is that, is that considered not a, a Friendsgiving? Some people might call it something like that, but uh, well, I, I don't. I don't. I don't celebrate uh, holidays rooted in in genocide. Personally, it seems like you were celebrating to me. Based on what? Based on the picture you that sent. That picture me. I sent. Yeah, well, yeah. I feel like you wouldn't have sent a picture unless you were celebrating. <laughs> it's not want, like you were mourning in the picture. No, I just wanted to, sh- to show you my like baller balcony. I was chilling downtown. Well, yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. You you wouldn't have been there unless you were celebrating something. It was a really nice apartment. That was my friend Nick's place. What's up, Nick? It's not bad. It's a, it's a nice spot. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. It well, was a nice time. It was yeah. a nice time. How about you? How was your holiday? Uh, it was okay. It's always okay. Not a, not a huge uh, having to do stuff fan, you know? I do know. I like to not do much. Right. So whenever I have to do something, it's it's not the best. But I made it and made it through. <laughs> Another Thanksgiving. Eat some good food at least. I really didn't. I really... Well, I mean, the food was good, but, you know, I don't really eat that yeah, much. Had some grilled cheese, though? No, I actually didn't on Thanksgiving. What'd there, you have? There's definitely some spots open. I always know the spots open on Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, you uh, know, I don't know if it was last Thanksgiving, maybe two years ago, I was trying to find somewhere to eat, and we couldn't find anywhere. I assumed that some Chinese places would be open, because I remember... In New York, growing up, on the holidays, on Christmas Day, on Thanksgiving Day, we would always, as you know, the all me and my Jewish friends would go eat Chinese. There's some like classic movie where they do that. Uh, what is it? Um, Christmas Story. They duck at the end of it. Not sure. Remember, I think like the whole thing is like they fuck up the food that they're cooking, so they all just go eat Peking duck for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, actually. Right. I mean, it's a famous thing that Jews eat. Chinese food on Christmas. Well, these were these these weren't Jews. They, they weren't were, Jews. Yeah, they weren't Jews. But, but were they Essenes? No, no, they were they were they were classic white people. It's a good story. Great time in American history. It's a classic movie. I know that. Definitely heard of it. No, it's a. I, I used to watch that movie all the time. I mean, speaking of Christmas movies, there's tons of good ones. You know, there's a there's a new Die show. Hard. There's a new show on Netflix. Have you seen um Have you seen the toys that made us before? I think you made me watch a couple minutes of it, yeah. Yeah, they they do a new episode on pro wrestling figures this season, which is pretty good. But there's also another show called uh, The the Movies That Made Us. And I watched one the other night about uh, Home Alone and how Home Alone Classic. was made. That, that might be one of the best movies of all time. The Sticky Bandits. Like uh, fucking Joe Pesci in that movie. Amazing. You gotta love Joe Pesci. But wait, I'm interested when but you were just saying... There was a thing about that movie, though. Like, um, John Hughes wrote that movie, right? Mm-hmm. And John Hughes, they said that he would write, like, a script. He would write a movie script on one weekend. Like, he'd start Friday and finish a whole script on Sunday. Sounds like there may have been some uh, methamphetamines involved. I don't know. I I, I mean, he. I think he did die fairly young, I think, I, like in his 50s. I'm gonna go out on a limb right now and say this guy was doing speed. If he was writing an entire movie script in a weekend, he was on speed. I mean, it was the 80s. 
He definitely wrote some like amazing 80s hits, though. I mean, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. These movies all have the the writer on speed written all over them. I don't know. I think he just is like writing from a very personal, comfortable space that he can write a lot. Like, I don't think he's struggling to write. But you could be right. He could, he could be really doped up. I have no idea. I'm I'm definitely assuming that that was the case. But uh, you just mentioned this show. Um, uh, something about wrestling toys. Oh, the toys yeah, that made yeah, us. Yeah, you you piqued my interest. Did they have the like the wrestling toys from the early '90s? Those action figures that like remember the guys that had a little platform on their back so you could like push their torso down and they would jump. Oh yeah, yeah. Those are like the smaller figures, though, right. right? Yeah, they yeah. did have those on. Not their... the bigger, like rubbery ones. Like the whole series started, um, like from the very beginning of action figures, of uh, pro wrestling action figures, and they started with like the the bigger sized LGN ones, like uh, like I have here actually. Like yeah, like Sheik right there. Yeah, like from the like mid eighties. Those right, were the late eighties. Ori- so these right here were the original. Those might have been like a different uh, like volume, but those were right. the same style as the original, okay. same company, and then after after lgn stopped making them then a, a different company came in that's the ones you're making the smaller ones that they would have like um they'd have like ultimate wrestler warrior. specific moves yeah yeah so like the warrior one would jump yeah and the hogan one would like body press slam right like uh yeah the, those came a little after but those were probably like more in your prime that was absolutely my prime i had i had the little ring I would fight with those guys. It was great. Like, the one thing about that episode, though, I didn't realize that, uh, I guess this came really late after I kind of stopped watching wrestling, was that uh, Mattel, like the company who does Barbies, they got the license to do, like, the WWF action figures for a minute. So they were looking, like, super kind of Barbie style. Oh, we got to get our hands on some of these. I got to see I gotta I'm not see these bad them. boys. I'm more of a nostalgic action figure guy. Oh, so these were later, like yeah, I think these well, were like, like I think post, they were like pretty recently, like post Razor Ramon. Oh, we're yeah, talking, yeah, but oh. I think like the one thing is they since like since WWE pretty much owns like all wrestling for the most part, besides like uh, AEW now and and some of the other indies, like uh, they can make pretty much any wrestler in history that they want. So they can make like right. a Sting action figure. They can make like a Hulk Hogan. They can make yeah, any anybody, yeah, anyone from the past of. WWF, even back to when it was the WWWF, WCW, back to when it was NWA, all those territories that the WWE had engulfed. It owns the rights to all that stuff. But it's interesting that you say there is there is a new outlet that they don't control and that actually has been a huge thorn in their side. And I know that me and you are both pretty excited about it. It seems to be a lot of people out there pretty excited about it. You just mentioned it. It's AEW. Yeah, it's um it's it's pretty interesting to see where where could could go, you know. One of the more interesting things I've thought about it so far is the the demographics. It's it's just so, it feels pretty old. It's like all guys in their 30s and 40s. Is that old though? Right. I guess old's not the right word, but it's not young. It's like it's like Gen Xers. I mean, I think the oldest person on the show has got to be Jericho, right? And Jericho's like 50. But- Jer- Jericho is like the, well, I think the fans, the the average age of the fans, I think is probably a, a quite a bit older than the, the wrestlers themselves. Well, I think like the majority of the guys who started it are like in their mid thirties. Like I think, um, Cody Rhodes is like in his mid thirties or early thirties and, Sounds and about Kenny right. Omega's in his mid thirties. Yeah. I think the young bucks are probably in their mid thirties. So these are like older millennial guys, right? Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, I, like the way I always thought about it was like, if it was like, wrestling created by like guys who watched wrestling when wrestling was really good you know right it was guys that were like yeah probably grew up in the 90s watching like you know sort of like the 90s were kind of a golden era you know the whole colgan kind of wwf there's also that thing though that they all like wrestled in japan before and the japanese style is is much different than the american style would you say it's faster paced i think it's just more of like um kind of like a I think it's more just like a stiffer kind of work. Like the, it's more of like, kind of like a, I'm trying to think of a, a good way of phrasing it. It's just like a stiffer, 
more realistic, I guess, See, kind of style. To someone like me who grew up watching American wrestling and I hadn't really been exposed to much Japanese wrestling at all, to me, the AEW style and some of the Japanese stuff that I've been watching more recently, it definitely seems a lot more innovative, a lot more creative, uh, a lot more realistic, like you say, you know, whereas like the the old WWF style is sort of like, you know, the test of strength where like two guys just lock up and it just the whole thing feels like really fake. Yeah, no, I think we've had this discussion before about those like those wear down moves where you just kind of both guys just stand together for a little bit in the corner and, and just talk it out. There's not yeah, really so any boring. like anything like that in AEW, it feels like it feels no. like everything's all high risk, like. It's exciting. I, it's it's like I don't know. It's like a. It feels like lucha libre in a way. I don't know. There's like there's a weird parallel to it to WCW to me, and like that's what made WCW good at one point was that they had like they they had like all these guys besides like the guys they paid a bunch of money to like Hulk Hogan and Macho Man. They had like a young Chris Jericho, and then they had a bunch of like mexican stars like psychosis and mm -hmm. ray mysterio like those were guys yeah, who actually juventud guerrero and then not like, even just those guys but like dean malenko and and dare i say chris benoit even you know like they had a lot of guys who were who were solid as the like mid-card guys yeah it seems like AEW. they took you know they took some aspects from from wcw they took some stuff from japan they took some stuff from ecw from indie outlets they kind of it's sort of like they picked and chose different aspects that they liked from different styles and they came up with something like pretty refreshing in the wrestling world when at this point the McMahons and WWE have completely taken over like they now have a worthy adversary and it all started with I don't know if it all started but I know that Cody Rhodes is you know one of the main guys who started this and you know his dad Dusty Rhodes is you know he's one of the bigger legends in wrestling history I remember there's like some weird like uh there's like some weird story about like you, you remember you remember Ted DiBiase's like sidekick Sensational Sherry? No, the male. Talking about Virgil? Talking about Virgil. Well, yeah, I remember Virgil. So, so the name Virgil was I, the name Virgil was like a a, a jab at Dusty Rhodes cuz Dusty Rhodes' actual name is Virgil. Oh, so would Ted DiBiase and Dusty Rhodes had beef? No, I think it was Vince and Dusty Rhodes had beef. Oh. And then so whenever Virgil came to WCW, his name was Vincent. Oh, that's right. They like switched the names. Oh, up. that's got to make it sting extra hard that Vince had beef with Dusty Rhodes, that it's Dusty Rhodes' son who's really like sticking it to him now. Yeah, it's just it's just weird to think like that like, Cody Rhodes could be like a, a actual superstar after like having to watch him be like that character Stardust. Do you remember? Yeah, well, like, Vince, Vince probably screwed him on purpose. He probably did. He seems like a he's such malicious a, guy. He's a vindictive asshole. <laughs> I believe it. He really is. He's, so he's wait, definitely a cutthroat businessman. Can I just rewind for one quick second back to his Ted DiBiase Virgil thing? I'm sorry, I can't just let this go without mentioning the dynamic that was created by a professional wrestler whose gimmick was that he's an extremely wealthy man and he has this he has a black servant who he constantly demeans and treats like shit i think he was a bodyguard uh whatever whatever they framed it as like you know it was it was pretty cringy and it's a theme throughout wrestling history wrestling you know it's a it's a very white culture and it's uh it's got it's got quite a bit of racist history to it, and the Ted DiBiase Virgil dynamic was pretty hard to watch, even as a kid. Well, he's actually on AEW now. Who is Virgil? Virgil. No way. Is that right? Yeah, I think he actually opened the the show up this last week. Interesting. He's got to be pretty old. He's at this getting point. up there. Yeah, he's <laughs> probably in his sixties. I remember maybe. watching him in like the like the late eighties or something. Yeah, it was a while ago. It's not bad. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, so like what, what excites you about AEW? What's, what's different about it? What's brought you back to watching wrestling again after all these years? I think it's a lot to do with the, the storylines feel like more, they, they feel like easier to get into to me. Like I, I felt like WWE in the last 10 years or so has been like very, 
I don't know. It just doesn't make much sense, you know. It like, often, there's not really any. It often feels very manufactured. Whether they're going for their like very family friendly eras that they do once in a while, or they're trying to be more edgy, like it all just seems like very contrived. Whereas AEW feels like very authentic. I think AEW is trying to make it more of like a sport, even though we all know like it is like not real. You know, there's no like actual winner. Like it's a staged event. Right. But like, I think they're still trying to make it real. I think they're trying to bring back what wrestling once had, even though we knew they were predetermined winners always there was still that illusion. Like when you go watch a movie in a theater, like, you know, you know that it's actors, but you suspend your disbelief so that you can enjoy the movie. With wrestling, we do the same thing. We suspend our disbelief and we pretend that this is a real thing and we become somewhat invested in the story. But WWE and Vince McMahon have made it difficult because of, you know, how lazy their their writing and their storylines have gotten. They just got too comfortable. I think that's a lot what it comes down to as well. Is I, I just see more creativity in, like, the AEW product than I do in, like, the WWE product. Like, it feels like WWE is, like, guys having to do what somebody else wants them to do. You know, and AEW yeah. feels like a bunch of guys who are pretty much doing what they want to do. Vince Vince McMahon is kind. Of, he kind of treats it like he's a dictator, and he's got the final say on everything. He's very controlling. AEW it feels real DIY. Like the guys who started it are are wrestlers themselves. It's and they're just doing this thing that they love. It also seems like Vince is is kind of forcing certain people to be like the top person. You know? Oh, definitely. Like, out of like the. Out of, like, the whole three original guys, like, in the S.H.I.E.L.D. faction or whatever, you know, like, the Seth Rollins dude, the, the Roman Reigns guy, and then the Dean Ambrose guy, who's who's now John Moxley in AEW. Mm-hmm. John, or, like, Dean Ambrose was always the, the most kind of just bland, boring guy. But in AEW, he's, like, the fucking star, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, coming... As, as John Moxley, he's like a cool badass guy. But as Dean Ambrose, he's just like a third wheel kind of guy. There is, though, like a little bit of uh, a sense of the guys in AEW that have a WWE background. You know, there's a sense that they've, they've got a bit more professionalism to them. And that they're just like really, really talented at their craft. I don't know about that because I think Kenny Omega is like probably the most talented of anybody. Kenny Omega might be the one exception. He doesn't have WWE experience, but I think he had been courted by them quite a few times. Oh, I'm sure. He just uh, he just always refused because he's got more of like a do-it-yourself, like I'm not going to bow down to the McMahons kind of attitude. Yeah, and it, it AW, definitely, AEW definitely has a very punk rock feel to it. And, yeah, it embodies that whole like rebellious spirit. And I think that's what's attracting like all these like millennials and gen xers like if you look at the crowd it's a bunch of like you know like bearded dudes in their 30s that like yeah it it looks like you're at a pop punk show or something well i don't know about a pop punk show because there's more than like 15 people there but maybe it looks more like you're at like uh i don't know a fucking a pop just a hipster bar or something yeah it does yeah but it's like the dorkier side of hipster even a pop punk festival would have like maybe seventy five people. Oh, you know that'd on, be man. like a three day festival. Like shout out the fest, Gainesville, Florida. A lot more than seventy five people. Well, maybe, but um, seriously though, let's let's get back to some actually interesting stuff. Or do you want to you want to cut this short? Just kind of wrap this up here. Yeah, I think it's things. I think it's winding down. Well, uh, before we wrap it up, maybe uh, you want to each uh, just throw out one of our favorite '90s wrestlers, just for good measure. It seems like odd, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. You know, growing up, I mean, I loved. I was a sucker for the good guys growing up. Looking back, I love the heels, but I hated the heels growing up. I hated Ric Flair. I hated him. I loved the Ultimate Warrior. I loved Bret Hart. I even loved Hulk Hogan. Um, only asking for one yeah i you know I, I don't know who i want to choose there's so there's so many good ones um i guess uh let me take something let me like try to get off the beaten path just a little bit and i'm gonna go for uh one of my dad's favorites from that era very underrated underused talent the brooklyn brawler all right i'll, I'll quickly jump off to uh the only wrestler who would smoke 
or the only wrestler that I know of who would smoke a shitload of cigarettes before he went to the ring. And I imagine he did a bunch of like drugs and alcohol before he got in the ring too. Who's that? Jake, the snake? Jake the snake Roberts. <laughs> one of the all time. That's a greats. good one. That's a great one. Actually. He, he's absolutely an all time great. Anytime you have somebody who kind of transcends how big wrestling is and they don't even, they're not even in very good shape. That's how you know that I was there, say, there's Jake, something special. Jake the Snake just seemed like a, a guy who walked off the street, you know? Like, he'd still be Jake the Snake on the street. Like, he didn't need, like, a gimmick. Like, he, his gimmick that, yeah. was that he was Jake the Snake, but he was actually Jake the Snake. Yeah, no, that was not a gimmick. That was just him. There's certain wrestlers that they're not, they're not playing a character. They're just being themselves. And that was Jake. I always thought Ultimate Warrior was doing that, too. Like, he would come running down to the ring, shaking the ropes. Like, that dude wasn't playing. He wasn't playing a character. He was, like, dead serious about that shit. I feel like he, he was definitely had some sort of mental illness. He had to. Like, for those promos, like, those promos were so out there. They really were. He would be, like, he was, like, talking to, like, the gods of, like, the netherworld. <laughs> like, he was really, like, he was on some other shit. He really was. But um, so this was a fun little uh, memory lane chat about wrestling, talking about some more modern AEW stuff that we're excited about. Uh, we can't wait for you guys to come to Houston one of these days. We expect backstage passes. But, um, you know, maybe do you want to maybe get into some basketball? This is a basketball show, right? <laughs> is that, is that, do we still do that? Or are we a wrestling podcast now? Well, doing some load management. Got to take our time with the basketball. Pretty good segue right there. So, um, have we seen, do you think we've seen the, the final form of this new era of load management? I guess you could say it mostly, it started with Kawhi. But now it seems like I think it's like... starting and ending with Kawhi. I don't. I don't think there's too many guys. Like sh I think some guys definitely will take some games off, you know. But like to say you're not going to play games back to back every single time. I don't know. If there's too many players doing that. Well, I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure that Kawhi would even be doing it quite so much if he wasn't. You know, he's got like a. It seems like his knee problem is sort of just like a permanent thing that he's always going to deal with. I feel bad for him. Like he seems like he gets like his knee bumped into every game. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're like a bush league kind of guy, yeah, you can go for his knee. You know, it's like a, that's his Achilles heel. You call him Patrick Beverly, a bush league guy? Patrick Beverly's on his team. Well, I know what I'm saying. If he bumps into Patrick Beverly's knee, is he a bush league guy? Well, I've, I assume that with teammates, it's definitely going to be an accident. Why would you like intentionally try to hurt your teammate? Guy wants he wants it to be his team. Patrick Beverly wants the Clippers to be his team. I think Patrick Beverly's pretty happy that Kawhi's there. What do you think about it? What do you think about the uh, Paul George scoring average happening right now? I think his first I mean, three games he played coming back from the injury, he was averaging like thirty-five points or something like that. Now he's averaging uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of your low twenties. I think it's still you think that's kind of where he's going to end up, or do you think he's going to kind of approach that thirty range again? I think it's a little it's a little too soon to tell. Still, I think it's it's still kind of a small sample size. We're still early in the season, and you got to remember that you know two superstars were just inserted into this team. And they haven't even played that many games together yet. So I think it's going to take, you know, when we're about maybe midway through the season, I think, you know, we'll probably get a better sense. But also, you know, Kawhi's not like a guy that needs to score 35 every night. So it wouldn't surprise me if Paul George was the leading scorer on the team and averaged somewhere closer to 30. Well, Kawhi's the leading scorer on the team right now, though. Right now, yeah, but he doesn't he doesn't need to be to be effective. So I think that, you know, if Paul George's best role, I think they're still kind of feeling out the best, most effective way for them to play together. And I, I'm kind of feeling like Paul George's role might be best served as, you know, more of a scorer. And Kawhi can be like, I mean, Kawhi's still going to score. He's going to score quite a bit. You know, he could, Kawhi kind of does a lot of everything and he could focus on defense. I mean, they're both great defenders. There's just like, 
I think it might be situational too, like depending on the matchups of who they're playing, like they could kind of like revert to different styles because either one of them could dominate a game. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Mike Mike D'Antoni, head coach of the Rockets, um, made a comment about the Clippers doubling James Harden with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George at the same time. Doubling James Harden with Kawhi and Paul George. Do you think that's more of a comment on... Do you think that's more of a comment on how difficult it is to guard James Harden or how, how much of a, a threat it is to guard James Harden? I mean, I think like anyone, anyone who has anything to do with basketball will tell you that James Harden is basically unstoppable. He's in the, he is already in the conversation of the most unstoppable scorers ever, period. I mean, isn't that crazy to think about though, that you have to have two defensive player of the years and and maybe the two best wing defenders in the league. You have to have both of them on him at the same time. I mean, you don't have to, but I mean, it also could have just been a flex. They could have just been like, look at look at the defense that we've got. Look what we could put historic, on you. A historic defense like that, though. Like, the Rockets only lost by a few points. And they were shooting terribly. James Harden was like the only one who could do anything. I mean, it's still. I mean, like I said just before, it's still. It's still early in the season, and it's that was just, that's one game. I just I, think it's crazy to think that you need like that much reinforcement to to stop James Harden. I know, like I know how how happy it makes you that James Harden it's is just, that much of an offensive there's just, threat. There's just a lot of guys though that like would refuse to have a double team. You know, like there's just a lot of like whenever I think about the best defenders, I think about them shutting a guy down one on one. Like, I think about a guy who's just going to lock up his guy one-on-one. Oh, like, if will. Kobe faced a double team every time, like, the the guy who I remember, like, ironically being called the Kobe stopper, Reuben Patterson, off of those old Trailblazers teams. Like, I don't remember Reuben Patterson having to double anybody. I don't remember Shane Battier really having to have a double to guard Kobe. James Harden needs to double every single possession. Well, James Harden's a scorer like we've never seen. you got to guard James Harden 40 feet out. With a double team. Yeah, he's he's extremely threatening on offense. But I mean, I think that like, I want to see, I think that as basketball fans, we all really deserve to see a Rockets-Clippers playoff series this year with, you know, that high-powered of an offense. I think there's a, lot, that of, defense. There's a lot of series that we'd like to see this year, though. Because, oh, I, I mean, Clippers-Lakers Clippers, Clippers, would be nice. I yeah. think Rockets-Lakers, Rockets-Clippers would be nice. I think Clippers-Rockets would be nice. Like, I think there's just, like, all of these series can't happen, you know? There, one team's going to have somewhat of an easier path than the other team. Yeah. But, I mean... Denver, I, Denver against the Clippers would be nice. I, my my series I want to see is Rockets Clippers because I think the Rockets or I mean I guess maybe Lakers Clippers too but for the sake of not picking the Lakers I'll take I'll pick the Rockets so they've got a high powered offense both of those teams I think do. Lakers Clippers or, or Rockets Lakers right now looks like it could happen in the second round oh it it's way too soon to tell any of these matchups could potentially happen I'll tell you a matchup that would be interesting to watch though I think uh, I think. If if both teams could make it to the second round, like a Mavericks Nuggets matchup would be pretty fun to watch. That would be that would be a great series. I mean, even like a Lakers Mavericks. Lakers Mavericks. I mean, there was that game. Yeah, I mean, LeBron versus Luca just has that like uh, special kind of generational feel to it. I think a lot of it has to do with their ages. The fact that you know LeBron's sort of like at the end of his prime. And Luca is like, you know, not even really even approaching his prime yet. He's like, a, he's a new guy. He was a rookie last year. If LeBron's at the end of his prime and Luca hasn't hit his prime yet, where is uh, Vince Carter in in his prime? Is Vince Carter's prime just like two lifetimes ago now? Yeah, Vince Carter's prime. Yeah, it would have been like, I don't know, what, like 15 years ago or something. The man is about to play next year. The man's going to be playing his fourth decade of NBA basketball. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Vince Carter, like, yeah, incredible. Absolutely. Half man, half amazing. Well, you know what they call him in Toronto, though? They call him a flying crybaby. Well, they, they, they weren't calling him that anymore. No, probably not anymore. They were pretty salty for a while there, though, when he left. Vince Carter is the reason why 
there's probably so many great Canadian players playing right now. You might be right about that. How about Steve Nash, though? Another Just great like Canadian the, player. Just like the dream teams, the reason why there's so many great European players playing right now. I mean, Luca's what, 20 years old? Yeah. No, he's I mean, he too came, young He came a little that. after the dream team. but oh, I mean, he came like, well uh, after that. Like a Goran Dragic, who's from the same country as him, a little older, he probably watched the dream team. Yeah, because I, I remember watching the dream team. Dream and I'm team like two, a, at least. Dream team two, well... Yeah, I guess it was four years later. But that '92 Dream Team, yeah, the guys that the guys in Europe that grew up watching that are probably more like I don't know, I guess like the Tony Parkers, the Dirks, right? They'd probably be about the right age. Yeah, Derek was probably like already like fifteen or something like that whenever the second Dream Team happened. You no, know, he was no, already I'm playing. Fir- I'm talking about the first Dream Team, 92. Even the first Dream Team, he was probably like Derek? 15. Is Derek 40? No, 39? Uh, he's like 40, guy. He's like 40? So yeah, the first, So the first Dream Team, he would have been like I think, I think he was like drafted in 97 or, or 98. So he was probably like 18 or 19. So he was probably like, yeah. He probably, he's probably, probably like, like 11, yeah. 12 when the Dream Team came out. Yeah, I think you could say the Dream Team is probably responsible for Dirk. Also Tony Parker. But I think he was probably already kind of playing basketball is what I'm saying. Like, it was, like, more of guys who, like, the sport wasn't even, like, a thing there until it became, like, a huge thing there. Well, but what I'm saying is that someone like Luca at his age, I don't think he... Well, maybe not directly, but indirectly from it, for sure. Yeah, because the guys that got into it because of the Dream Team, he got into it because of them. That's why I said Goran Dragic, who's, like, a few years older. It's probably closer. Goran's probably closer to our age. Yeah. And if we were inspired by the Dream Team, I'm sure Goran was as well professional basketball player out of Slovenia. It's not bad. I mean, best Croatian basketball player. Who do you think that is? It's got to probably be Vlade. You think he's better than uh, Tony Kukoc? Wasn't Kukoc uh, he's Croatian? Pretty, he's pretty good, but he's no Vlade. Well, Vlade wasn't that great for a while. I think Vladi got better with age, though. Can you say that Vladi was always great? He wasn't great. Like he, he wasn't going to stop anybody. He really. might not be the. He might not be the greatest executive, but he was a great passing big man. Yeah, but being a great passing big man doesn't make you a great big man. It just makes you a great passer for a big man. Well, if was, anything, expectations were low for being a big man in passing. His game was so smooth. It was silky smooth. I think last season I described it like watching a ballet. One of my favorite squads of all time. 2001 Kings. Vladi Divas. That's my guy. Anyway, moving on to one of the all-time greatest three-point shooters of all time, Reggie Miller. Have you seen uh, Winning Time? The Are you di- talking to me? Vladi's Serbian, to? not Croatian guy. Ah, he's definitely not the the best Croatian player of all time. I I I don't know. Trash. <laughs> Trash. So what else you got? I mean, uh, we <laughs> talk about what games we got coming up this week. Let's make a couple of predictions. I don't know. How about this? How about uh? I believe there's three guys scoring over 30 points this season. There might be four right now. Uh-huh. How many do you think will score over 30 at the end of the season? How many do you think will still be scoring over 30 at the end of the season? Um, two. You think James and Giannis? Yeah. You don't think Luke is going to score over 30? No. I think he'll average a triple-double, though. I think he'll get close to 30. I think it's probably easier to score over 30 than it is to average a triple-double. I think you're probably right about that. I think Luca will I think Luca will average like 28 with a with a triple-double or very close to a triple-double. No, if he if 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 the people are correct and they think he's his game is just like James Harden, then he'll average like 28-9. And like nine or something like that. Or average like 28, 10, and nine. Like so close to averaging a triple double, but just not there. 
I think he, I, I have, I just feel like he's going to, I feel like he's going to do it. He's like, he's, he's bigger than James. He's got like a very, he's, he does have well, a similar Well, James isn't trying to average a triple double. No, I mean, I don't know. I that don't he, think size necessarily has anything to do with it. Cause the only guy who's done it in the recent years is Russell Westbrook, who's smaller yeah, than yeah, both Yeah, but Westbrook does it in a trash way. What Luke is doing feels pretty different than Westbrook. Westbrook is a stat chaser and everyone in the world knows that, especially his teammates from OKC. Man's I think you kind of have to be a stat chaser to average a triple double. Watching Luca, do you feel like he's a stat chaser? Sometimes. If I, you watched him the other night, whenever he like was one rebound short of it, yeah, it seemed like he was kind of chasing that rebound. Like I'm, it seems like people like know when they're close to a triple double, and they obviously want it. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing until it starts affecting the performance of the team. Yeah, I think. But I mean, two out of the three years that Russell Westbrook averaged a triple double, I would say he was the best player on the team. Last year, he averaged a triple-double, and they still made the playoffs, and he was, like, a, a pretty good player on the team, but he wasn't the best player. True. So I don't think he was, like, necessarily hindering his team's performance by averaging a triple-double. Like, obviously, if you're going for a rebound, you're, you're, you're trying to chase a rebound. You're trying to chase a stat. Like, I think all guys who are trying to average a triple-double or who are averaging a triple-double are chasing stats. Like, I think if you're just saying one guy is worse at it than another, that's just... Wow. I think Westbrook's first year of averaging a triple-double, it was like the the team was trash. They didn't they didn't do that well. But I think they, they lost in the first that round That was of the also playoffs. the year that was like the, the games where Russell Westbrook didn't average a triple-double, the Thunder were guaranteed to lose. Like, pretty much, I think he had like 40 games or something like that where he had a triple-double, and they like had like a really decent record where he had a triple-double. Did he deserve MVP that year? In my opinion, no, because I'm a James Harden guy. But I mean, in in hindsight, sure. If Giannis deserved it last year, then yeah, I think I think Russell did the, that year too. Giannis last year was on a team that was number one in the East. Where where was OKC that year? OKC was sixth. Right. Yeah, but I'm saying like uh, OKC's team was like a team where the maybe the greatest player in the entire generation had just left and nobody thought they were going to do anything much less make it to the playoffs. Like I everybody mean, thought it was going to be a, a fucking lottery year for that team. And Russell Westbrook somehow willed that shitty ass team to a playoff spot. I don't think that team I mean, was you so flip shitty. the team right now. Like the Chris Paul is on that team and they're not even like anywhere near having a winning record. I guess that's true. And I don't know. I don't know how many times Chris Paul's been on a team that hasn't had a winning record. Chris Paul's amazing. He's he's a good point guard, but he's he's going to be one of those guys though that you know he slipped through the cracks. He never never got over the hump. He came damn close. He got a he got Rockets. a pretty good chunk of change though, and I think he's still got enough time to where you know when his contract runs out in two more years that he can maybe go chase a ring. He could. But, you know, at that point in his career, like, you know, like, is he going to be the second best player on the team that he goes to to try to no, win a championship? Usually guys Probably who chase not. a ring aren't the second best player. That's what I'm saying. It's like different. Fourth. It's different at that point. If Chris Paul wins a championship as the fourth best player on a team, well, is Chris it as Paul meaningful? He more than likely wasn't going to win finals MVP if the Rockets had done it with him. Oh, of course not. But he was. He would have been the second best player. So I think whenever you're trying to chase a ring, like trying to be the guy and, and making it about you is irrelevant. You're trying to get a championship ring because that's all that matters anymore. Like the when you go back through a player's career and see that they had one NBA championship, that kind of solidifies it. It kind of does, but when you look into it and you see that that one championship was like, you know, at the tail end of their career and they were not that important a part of the team as they once were, is it as meaningful as when they were like really a major part of it? Well, let me ask you this. Where do you rank Chris Bosh on all-time great power forwards? Um, Not top 10. If he had won a championship... Being the guy in Toronto, would you rank him top 10? I'd say it would be more likely. Maybe not still, but it would be more possible. The fact they won a championship with LeBron and D-Wade, it's like, okay, well, yeah, of course you Well, that's did. kind of what I'm saying. I'm saying you're not really going to... If, even if he did it as the guy, it still like wouldn't really make me think he was that much better as a player. 
Like, I think he was, I think if he had done it in Toronto, it would have been on like an amazing team that did it. You know, it wouldn't have just yeah. been specifically Chris Bosch unless Chris Bosch was averaging like 30 yeah, and 20. If it was a monster year for him and he like brought that team to the championship, like, yeah, I think it would have elevated his status. But even then, not enough to make you say he's like guaranteed like one of the greatest power forwards of all time. Chris uh, Chris Paul is easily one of the greatest point guards of all time. And I think a championship would separate it. Like, yeah, there's going to be talk of like, well, he was never the guy in a championship team, but that's the case already. Right. Like, he's not going to ever beat Magic Johnson as being the best point guard of all time. No. Right now, he's he's like, he's fairly close to John Stockton, even though John Stockton holds all the records. And I think John Stockton will hold all the records when it's all over. John Stockton had a bit but of But having a championship advantage. might be slightly better than John Stockton's career. It it would be interesting. I would say that. So obviously, having a championship is always better than not having a championship. But having a championship as a role player is not as impressive as having a championship as one of the top two or three key guys. Well, yeah, but no one's disputing that. I'm only disputing that he's not going to have the opportunity to be a one or top two guy. On no, a it's too it's anymore. too late. The window's already closed for that. So there's only one thing left once, for him to do. Once the Rockets traded him, that window slammed shut. Daryl Morey was the nail in the coffin of Chris Paul. Dude, even then, like, the the nail in the coffin of Chris Paul was a hamstring. Last year, Chris Paul wasn't the second best player on the team. I mean, he still probably was, but, like, yeah, he... Last year, right there was about hope the that he would be the second best player on the team come playoff time. Well, who was the second best player? I mean, Eric Gordon averaged more points. Clint Capella was, like, more crucial to the team's success, I would say, than Chris Paul was last year. Disagree. I still think Chris Paul was number two. Easily. I mean, Chris Paul missed a lot of games last season. True, he like, did. Like, if you're not going to play a lot of games, you're not really crucial to the success of those games. I mean, as long as you're playing, like, a fair amount, and as long as you're there by playoff time is when it really, really matters. And even if you're not playing, if you're traveling with the team and you're there in the locker room, like that's that's not insignificant. I think that's insignificant to on the court success. No way. No way. I mean, I having like a guy there who's going to cheer you on and like help you out, that's nice. But I think like being able to do something about it on the floor is a lot different. I mean, it is, but they're... Like, I they're, would much rather have a guy who's out there playing with me than a guy who's cheering me on from the bench or giving me, yeah, like, slight not, tips off the bench. It's not like, about hey. choosing between them. It's about having a veteran in the locker room who's been through a bunch of shit and who's got a leader-type mentality. A veteran in the locker room who, who hadn't had as much play playoff success as the guy who's actually on the court playing at the same time. I'm not comparing them to each other. I'm just saying that having like Chris had, Paul there is still important, even when he's like not you're playing. Saying, what you're saying is we should sign Chris Paul as like a goodwill ambassador to the team who's like that just has like a lot of playoff success. Saying. There's no. tons of guys who had playoff success that we could sign as assistant coaches. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it's an important aspect to have those types of players on your team. If they're injured and they can't play, they can still play a role. Yeah, it's not the same role. It's not as much of a role, but it's still an important role. Well, do you think it's to more have important, that type of leader? Do you think it's more important to have guys with championship success on the team instead? It could be, but I think that, like, you know, if you're your best player on the Rockets and James Harden, you know, if when the game is over, James Harden's going out to the strip clubs and Chris Paul's staying back with the guys and reviewing tape, that's God, quite a big most difference. Most of the time I, after the games, I see James Harden in the weight room. I see him at the strip club. What strip clubs do you go to that you see him at? I don't physically see That's him That's what there. you said. You said you saw him at the strip clubs. What strip <laughs> clubs are they? I don't know what they're called, and I'm not I'm not at them. Like, I'm whatever just James Harden is doing pretty... after he's doing his shit is cool with me. He can go to wherever the fuck he wants to. He can go to as many strip clubs as he wants. So I'm not why are you bringing up strip clubs saying not... he doesn't do work? You're saying, like, after games, he's not fucking in the weight room. You're saying he's not practicing with his guys. You're saying he's at the strip club spending money. That's what you're implying. Well, well, yes, I, I, I am saying that, but I'm not so saying he's not So there's only so much time that you can put in work for. He's I think put, James Harden has progressed every single year. How G many players have have averaged like higher and higher and higher in scoring every year for the last like five years? G I'm not disputing James Harden is a great player. I don't think that James Harden makes his teammates better. I think that Chris Paul makes his teammates better. Okay, so Chris Paul's team, how much better On are they right now? and off the court. So how much better is Chris Paul's team right now? Well, you can't compare those if, two teams to each not? other. They're it's ridiculous. They're his team. James Harden has his team right now. They're his team. 
You're comparing whose team? So you're telling me James Harden is not that type of leader. So you're telling me if James Harden was on that Clippers team with Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, they wouldn't have been better? I guarantee you that team would have been better with James Harden. Well, yeah, James Harden, yeah, you're talking about one of the greatest talents of a generation. So he doesn't make his teammates better. Making your team better is making your teammates better, correct? No, no, those are two different things. Uh, Well, I'd rather have a guy who wins games instead of a guy who makes his teammates feel better, if that's what you're talking about. Well, I mean... You're, you're arguing something that I'm not arguing. I'm arguing that a guy like someone who makes their teammates better, that's a specific skill. I think right? a guy like PJ Hard- Tucker makes his teammates better. What? Yeah. I think a guy like PJ Tucker makes his teammates better. I would argue that PJ Tucker is like more valuable to his teammates than Chris Paul is right now. PJ Tucker is very valuable to his teammates, but I would definitely not say that PJ. How does PJ Tucker make his teammates better? Because he makes them better defensively. He makes him communicate better. He's like a very vocal guy. That yeah, that might be if something anything, he does. Chris Paul, and then, that like, might be one small Chris thing. Chris Paul rubs his guys the wrong way. Chris Paul, he 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 kind of has a, a little bit of an attitude thing sometimes. But I mean, you know, so did Michael Jordan, so did Kobe Bryant. And those guys obviously had the success that Chris Paul did. Did Kobe didn't. make every one of his teammates better? Did Kobe make Dwight Howard better? I think LeBron's making Dwight Howard better. Well, Dwight Howard, there's something else going on there as well. I think LeBron does make his teammates better, generally speaking. Dwight Howard, yeah, when when Kobe played with Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard was like, he seems like he was in a weird headspace, and he was kind of he was kind of fucking up. And now I think he realizes that he's got this really great opportunity. He better make the most of it. And he is. And he's kind of resurrected his career. I would say LeBron made Kyrie better, too. I don't think Kyrie's been like he's he's had like bigger games and bigger performances and nicer averages. But he doesn't seem like he's the same threat as he was playing next to LeBron. No, Kyrie, in a way, I think Kyrie, I could compare him to James Harden in a certain way, because I think that they're both guys who are like amazing offensive talents and are extremely skilled, but they don't necessarily make their teammates better. That's a specific skill. Magic Johnson made his teammates better. James Harden doesn't make his teammates better. I don't, I don't understand that though. Like if you took James Harden off this Rockets team, they would be so much worse. Of course they would, because you're taking off the most so talented guy. So put anybody guy. on the team, and I don't think you make them better. Like, I don't think there's, like, like I don't think putting LeBron on this Rockets team would make the team better. I think the team would be worse. It may or may not. I, I think if you trade LeBron for James Harden, I think the Rockets would be better. I think LeBron James would elevate some of these guys in a way that James just can't, because that's not his style. That's not his game. What What constitutes elevating better? That's the thing. Like it's, it's scoring inti- a higher average no, than you ever did anywhere No, no, else? no. You're thinking about it all wrong. It's an intangible. You can't answer the question Well, then that's asked. irrelevant to me. So it's a subjective <laughs> thing that only you can see. I don't care about this Intangibles are irrelevant to you. You only want like... No, intangibles that are only perceptive to you is what I'm saying. Well, I can I mean, see that James Harden makes his teammates better. Like, how I, so? Tell me how James Harden makes his teammates better. Because he makes like life so points. much easier for his teammates. You think if that if you think that if is Clint Capella was on another for them, team, making them better? Yeah, I would say Clint what? Capella is better because of James Harden. Is he though? You think Why? Clint Capella because he's James like a top five center. To him? You put any big guy in on the Rockets right now, they would be a top five center. I don't know. You don't think Clint would thrive Guy, on other teams? Last time Dwight Howard was even like even remotely considered as an all star was playing alongside James Harden, correct? All right. Well, you know that Dwight Howard derailed his career, and that has I, nothing not, to I'm do with I'm just putting up James a random Harden. one, fool. Oh, like, he just happened to pick Dwight Howard twice, who had like some super tumultuous you know, years. He was fresh on my mind. <laughs> like I just think it's ridiculous. Like I think it's just another like fucking baseless jab at James Harden for no reason. It's not a baseless job. I like James Harden. I'm a James Harden fan, but I'm not going to seem like you are. Guy. Well, you Don't want think me, it makes you his want, teammates better. You think being a fan means you do nothing but praise him and say he's the best at every single aspect. That's just not realistic. I don't think he's the best at every single aspect. I yeah. think he's the best scorer on the planet. And I think he's like one of the better teammates on the planet. Like, I think that t- the guys who are playing with James Harden seem like they're they're down to play with James Harden. Well, yeah. I don't know. If, want I don't know if like, like everybody seemed like they were down to play with Kyrie Irving last year on Celtics. No, like, that's that was... what I'm saying. The difference is like if James Harden was on that Celtics team, I guarantee you that Celtics team would have made the playoffs. Guarantee well, you they would have been better in well, the playoffs. Yeah, but be, making a team better is not the exact same thing as making your teammates better. 
Like Tyson Chandler was an all star when he played in New Orleans with Chris Paul. Yeah. Was he ever an all-star when he didn't play with Chris Paul? He wasn't a champion was, whenever he didn't play with Chris Paul. Yeah, but was he the top three guys on that championship team? Was Kenyon Martin I would ever, say he was pretty close to being a top three guy on the championship was team. Was Kenyon Martin an all-star without Jason Kidd? No, but you're also saying like people in their primes. That's like me saying like a guy who's only an all-star for like a three-year window just because he played along some guy. Like if Clint Capella becomes an all-star, I guarantee you Clint Capella probably wouldn't have been an all-star anywhere else besides here. Like, that's a difference. I don't know. I don't know if I think that's true. I think that Clint could be an all-star on several Eastern Conference teams right now. And I mean, either way, you know, there's some players that make their teammates better, and there's some players that are great players in their own right without necessarily making their teammates better. Who is who is up to each individual to decide what they think. But on that note, uh, let's wrap up the show for today. Let's... uh, let me just tell you real quick about uh, a new product on the market developed by RZA and the Wu-Tang Clan. You can now buy a Wu-Tang Clan-made wallet made out of banana leaves for all you animal lovers and vegans out there. Have you gotten yours yet, Lefty? No, I'm like an adult wallet fan. I like adult wallets. Adult wallets? So you're not in the market for a wallet made out of bananas is what you're telling me. Yeah, I don't want my uh, wallet to be made out of fruit. Not my style. I'm interested. I'm not going to lie. I'm thinking about grabbing one. I can't really see you using any other wallet besides one of those like little kid Velcro wallets. Um, have you with, seen... like a little change purse. Have you seen my current wallet? I don't care about your current wallet. Uh, I'm, a... I'm talking about in the past, I've seen you with the Velcro wallets. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, did, I had a Sean White Velcro wallet for years that I got at a dollar store. I'm not going to lie. But now I'm rocking the Louis Vuitton. You got to admit, the Velcro wallets are like the most like little kid style wallets you can get. They are. Well, no. Well, yeah, they are. <laughs> I mean, what else is like a little kid style? Tell me like a leather billfold or like a money clip wallet is like a little kid style. No, nah, a little kid style is like, uh, I guess a Velcro wallet, but it's got to be like real colorful and it's got to be like. They're too, all fairly colorful. But it's got to be like too small to even like fit bills in. You ever seen those? Like the real small wallets. Yeah, you got to wad them up. Fit. Yeah, you got to wad them up to even fit them in there. The you got to be like don't a, fit. a good fella and just have like a, a wad of cash, you know? I remember. Like a band. The bro- go go the get the broccoli band. band yeah. Or the produce department, get a nice broccoli band. The yellow ones. Or the purple ones. I'm a fan of the blue ones, I think. Oh, the blue. I like the yellow. Yellow means organic. Yeah, they, the mob guys don't care about being organic. I don't know. Some of them might. These days, you never know. It's 2019. I could see some vegan, organic mafia guys. You think they're talking about um, organic produce and the Irishman? Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to guess that they're probably not, given the, the cast and director. But... You never know. Well, hey, I, I guess I'm just uh, never going to be negative on somebody who's given us another option. Uh, you know, Wu-Tang Clan, I guess you can, I guess you could say, hey, that's, that's, that's reasonable. reasonable. <laughs> All right, Wolf, let's uh, wrap this piece of trash up. Let's end this piece of garbage. Finally, let's. Thanks, Riza. All right, Wolf, tell them uh, where they can find us. Oh, yeah, that's right. Spotify, Google Play iTunes, the internet, Facebook, Instagram, Lefty and the Wolf. Hey, Wolf, that's a game. What are the youth?